Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, let our, light our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, please have a seat, if you will, and uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. John chapter 1. I know I told you last week that we were going to spend a lot of time in Mark. This is the only exception. Uh, after this, we're going to be back in Mark chapter 1 uh, for the next few weeks. So John chapter 1. And as a reminder, an, uh, the um, sermon series that we introduced last week, we're in the season of Epiphany, which is a season of pondering and realizing and, uh, and recognizing who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Or another way to say it, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at how does Jesus reveal God? What is the actions, the words, the, uh, the, um, uh, the way that Jesus interacts with others? What does that reveal to us about who God is? And so we pick up the story of Jesus's early days of ministry here in John chapter 1. This is after his baptism, which we talked about last week, after his temptation in the wilderness, which we don't have time to talk about right now. Um, and now he starts to gather together his disciples, okay? So John chapter 1, verse 43. And we're going to look really closely at the interaction today of Jesus with Philip and particularly Nathaniel. And we're going to go line by line here and look at uh, the amazing conversation that Jesus has with these two guys. Okay, so verse 43, John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, uh, that would be the day after that he has, uh, he has called Peter and Andrew already the day before, okay? And so it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So we see Jesus gathering disciples for, for himself. Uh, and these disciples, when we think of the, the disciples, we oftentimes think of the 12, the 12 men who Jesus calls into specific positions of service and leadership. Um, but this word also refers to all of those who would follow him after, uh, after that as well. Disciple means learner or follower. A Jewish rabbi, when he had disciples, did not just once a week gather together with his disciples and teach them. But rather, disciples of a rabbi would follow him around. And the saying was that they wanted to be so close to their rabbi that the dust that was kicked up off the road when he was walking around on the roads, that the dust that was kicked up by his feet would, would come to rest on them. That's how close they were following their rabbi, which also makes a little, gives a little more context to Matthew chapter 10. If you're familiar, when Jesus sends out his disciples to, to, uh, to go out into the world, to share some of the good news of the gospel, he says to them, go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And if you go to a city or town and they won't receive you, I want you to knock the dust off your feet when you are leaving. So it's a, it's a sign of, 
of protest. It's a sign of saying the invitation is to follow closely. And if you won't receive that invitation, then we're going we're gonna to show as we leave, then we're knocking the dust off, our, off of our feet. You can't, you can't say that you believe from a distance. But rather, there's a closeness of, of following. So if Jesus is starting to gather together disciples, what does this, with our context here, we're saying, what does the person and work of Jesus reveal about God? What does the very fact that Jesus is gathering disciples reveal about God? The invitation to Philip here is, follow me. That if we just rest in those words for just a minute, this is God in the flesh. God, the creator of the universe, the one who is full of majesty and power and glory, who, who lives in the presence of the angels, right? And, he, uh, and his invitation is not bow to me. Now, there's a place for that. There's absolutely a place for bowing to God. Absolutely. But hear this invitation. There's something that's not just, I'm going to be a distant God that you are going to bow to me from a distance. But rather, come close. Follow me. Stick with me. Know me. Intimately, if you're going to be with someone 24 hours a day as, as a following a rabbi, you are going to get to know everything that they do. I had a good friend who was um, from northern England. Um, in uh, Newcastle upon Tyne, if you're familiar, uh, and she—it's uh, right up next to Scotland. And so she'd been in America for a long time. But every time that she would go home to visit her family, every summer she'd go for a few weeks to visit her family, she'd come back. And for a few weeks afterwards, I couldn't understand a word she was saying. <laughs> right? Because she went home to her Scottish, and I'm not even going to try to do the accent. I cannot do accents. That's another conversation for another day. But so, somehow they, they all turn sort of Irish with a Pakistani. It gets weird. So I'm not even going to try it. So, um, so, but she would come back with this thick sort of Scottish, northern English accent, and I would go, you're going to have to repeat yourself, right? Because she was immersed in her culture and, and, and with the people who she knew and loved and having those conversations, and even unwittingly or, un, or subconsciously, she was picking up on their accent and even their way of pronouncing words. This is the kind of closeness that God is calling us to, just like he was calling his disciples to, to pick up even sort of on the accent of God. I'll, I'll say this, as a side note, this is why we use liturgy on a Sunday. Why do we say the words that we say? The, the liturgy that we say, the words that are up on the screen, that those, those words, 85% of those words are direct quotes from the scripture, the other 15% is, uh, are either paraphrases of Scripture or teachings based on Scripture. But the reason that we use the liturgy is because these are God's words that we are using to give back to him to describe him. Right to we're going to worship God using God's language because just like I imagine that the disciples could start to finish some of Jesus' sentences or order for him at the pub if they got there first, Right? because they knew him that closely. That's how closely we want to know God as well. We want to use his language. We want to have his accent. We want to, we want to have the same vocabulary that God has. And that's why we use liturgy 
and that we repeat those words over and over again so that we have the same vocabulary that God has given to us. So he's calling his disciples then to this kind of closeness. Follow me, know me, be with me, observe me, and then do as I do. That's the invitation from Jesus here. We need to ask this question in our lives as well. Who are we following? Who are we following? Even like my friend who would go home and accidentally pick up on the, uh, on the accent of the people who were around her. Whose accent are we picking up? Whose words are we using? Who do we celebrate? Who do we look to for truth? Who do we emulate? Is it Fox News or CNN? Whichever one you choose. Is that the place where you go for truth to pick up on what is reality? Who do you emulate on social media? Who do you who is the, your celebrity that you want to follow in sort of this guilty pleasure of celebrity gossip? Why are we interested? Why are we following? Why are we giving attention? Why are we, why are we pushing out the rest of the world in order to focus on this person or this thing in this way? What, why are we following them and what is it doing to us? What are we picking up on even subconsciously? And are we giving that kind of attention, if we are Christians, are we giving that attention to Jesus in that same way? Are we looking to him for truth? Are we looking to him? Are we intrigued by him? Are we, are we, uh, are we uh, using our energy and our efforts and our concentration to follow him closely? The call to be a Christian is the call to be a disciple of Jesus, to Follow him closely, not just to repent of our sins, go to a happy place when we die. The invitation of Christ is follow me, know me in every aspect of your life. So watch what happens here with Philip. Philip, we don't, we don't know that much about. We know he's from Bethsaida. The same place that Peter and Andrew are from. I, and that's really interesting. They, they most likely knew each other because this is a small fishing village of just a few hundred folks. And so, so what does this even say about God? One, we can see that there are times when God works in a particular geography. He, why did he pick this place? Because he did. Right? And so God starts to work through this group of folks in this particular geography. And I would say, friends, can we pray for that here? Can we pray that God would work, would enter into this small fishing village, uh, this obscure place, and do miraculous things that could change the world? Can we pray this prayer together as a church? Lord, work in our geography. Work in the triad. Work in Greensboro. Work in our neighborhoods even as well. So we see Philip a little bit later on at the feeding of the 5,000 um, that, uh, that he's the guy who says, wow, we don't have enough food. And he names the, the number of supplies that they have. So some people think that maybe Philip was sort of the quartermaster, right? He was kind of the guy who was, uh, who was keeping up with the supplies. Either that or he was just in the pantry a lot. Um, right, and he was like, "Look, I've 
I snack all the time, and all we have are just these couple of loaves of bread. Now, we don't really know exactly where Philip comes from from that perspective, but we also see Philip again in Acts. This is sort of Philip's shining moment, is, uh, is when, he, when he runs up to a, a moving chariot and jumps onto the chariot to share the gospel with, uh, with a foreigner who ends up coming to know Christ. Philip then takes him off of the chariot and baptizes him right there. Philip, this is where he is headed in his, uh, in his following of Jesus. But I want you to see something here in the grand scheme of all of this, right? God, God is entering into the world. He's entering into this obscure geography. And then what we see from God here is that he is working through a particular group of friends. Uh, all of these things that they're about to do, all of what Peter is about to do, all of what Andrew is about to do, all of what Philip is about to do, all of what Nathaniel is about to do, they know each other and they're friends in this community. We're about to see Philip, when, when Jesus says, follow me, and he goes, okay, um, that the first thing that he does is that he goes to get his friend, Nathaniel. He says, I'm going to follow you. I'll be right back. Right? I've got to go tell somebody first. And I would say that as we look at the close details, the granular details of this text, that this should jump out to us as well. Because I think, and you've heard me say this before, but this is a drum that I will continue to beat. I think that our culture has forgotten how to have friendships. And that it is the role of the church to redeem what friendship is. To redeem friendship that, is, uh, that matters to God. Greater love has no one than he who will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said to his disciples, I call you friends. There's a, a friendship that matters to God. The kind of friendship where there's a true investment in the lives of other people. Not just for entertainment, not just for good conversation or good food, which are really good things, but, but a true, deep care, intentionality in friendships. And I think that, that, that the, our world, through lots of different reasons that you know, through our, our uh, burying our face in our screens, through our fear of, uh, of, uh, of disagreement, through the political climate that we're in, for many reasons, still, still ramifications from the pandemic as well, we are becoming more and more isolated. And I would say that is the work of Satan himself. And that the church has to come to be able to say, you are not called to isolation. You are called to friendship and community. To, to, to teach again what the, what the goodness of friendship is, where we, where we go out of our way to invest in the lives of others and care for them and love them and live life with them in very intentional ways. Just like Philip and Nathaniel Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I would ask you, where are you investing in your friends? What friends need to hear about Jesus from you? Where have we become so isolated that we've lost this invitation from Jesus that says, follow me and bring your friends too? 
And how can we come to a place of being overflowing with joy in the way that Philip is here, where he's going, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been longing for. And so I can't contain it myself. I need to go tell the friends that I am close to, that I care about, of this great news of Jesus. It just bubbles naturally out of Philip. How can we come to that place as well? That the heart and the love that we have for God overflows in us to our friends. Now, I love Nathaniel's response. So Philip goes to Nathaniel, says, we found him. Moses and all the prophets were talking about the Messiah who is to come. We talked about that in the sermon last week. If you missed it, it's online. All of, all of the Old Testament is all talking about the Messiah who is to come. And we found him. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he's so excited. And so here's, here's Nathaniel's response. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I, sometimes our friends do let us down a little bit in their responses to the things that we're excited about, right? I mean, like Philip comes skipping up and he's so excited and he's just telling his friend and Nathaniel's response is not, really? It's Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, what we see from Nathaniel is that he is a student of the scripture, and the, his, his understanding was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He didn't have the luxury of Luke chapter 2 that we have now, right, that says that Jesus actually was born in Bethlehem, uh, but that he grew up in Nazareth. That was a little unexpected. And so Nathaniel, Jesus, Jesus is, uh, is being revealed to Nathaniel in ways that he didn't expect. Again, I think a lesson for us today too of many times the way that, the, that God reveals himself to us is by breaking down our presuppositions about who he is. Here's Philip's response. Philip just simply goes, come and see. That's all he says. There's no complicated, no, 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 Nathaniel, let me, let me answer all of your theological questions. Let me, let me be here. You have some doubts, but I need to be the one to take care of all of your doubts. Right? These are the things that we're concerned about, um, about talking to others about who Jesus is. What if, they, what if they ask us questions we can't give answers to? Or, or, or I don't know if I know enough about the Bible to be. Philip gives us a model here for how to talk to other people about Jesus. Just come and see. Just come to him and see. Come, come to the things that our church is doing and see the people of God at work. Come to, to a place of worship with us and hear the liturgy and the words about him. Come look into the scripture with me as well and just see who Jesus is. Jesus is the primary worker in the process of evangelism and spreading the gospel. That's his job. We're simply witnesses. We just tell about who Jesus is and go, look, just come and see. I don't, I don't have all the answers to all of your questions, and I can't necessarily open the scripture and point out everything that I need to be able to point out to you to give you all of the context of it. Just come and see. Meet this Jesus. And so he comes, and this is great. I, this, this will blow your mind as to what happens right here. Listen real close, okay? If you fade it off somewhere, come back. Nathaniel and Philip come walking down the road towards Jesus. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, 
So he calls out to him this, which on its surface does not seem very exciting. But when you look deeply into this, is really pretty mind-blowing, okay? Jesus saw Nathanael coming, verse 47, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. On the surface, it seems like, well, Jesus just said he's not a liar. That's good. But what is happening here is so much fun. Jesus is actually picking on him. He's actually, he's actually good-natured poking at him. He's, he's throwing shade, right? That's what Jesus is doing. Because here's, because here's the thing. Nathaniel's response when he hears about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel, who is a devout follower of God and a devout Jewish person, Israelite person, comes from the line of Israel. If you know the background story at all, the, the people of Israel, that name is, is a renaming of Jacob. Okay, so let me give you context. God makes a covenant with Abraham, says, I'm going to make a people. Uh, they're going to be my chosen people. They're going to bless, uh, they're going to bless the world. Uh, I'm going to give you land, all of these kind of things. So he makes this, pe- this promise to Abraham that he's going to make a people. There, through a, a lot of more complicated story than I can get into today, Abraham has a son named Jacob. Jacob, the name Jacob means trickster or manipulator, or deceiver. It literally means uh, leg puller, which means the same thing as we, if you say you're pulling my leg, right? That's, that's what his name was, deceiver. Jacob has some, some uh, conversations, we'll say, with God and, and, uh, and ends up wrestling with God. I know, you gotta go back and read it. It's all in Genesis. Uh, and God renames him. He says, no longer are you gonna be called deceiver. You're gonna be called Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. So now, Nathaniel's response, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus just went, Israel? Can anything good come out of Israel? He just said to him, right, he's, he is, he's, you can see a smile on Jesus's face here, right, going, he, he's, he has taken what Nathaniel has said, a sort of a, a sort of a jab at his heritage, and Jesus is twisting that and going, do you remember where you come from? Right, in, in our language today, right, he, uh, Nathaniel would have said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus just went, your mama came from Israel. <laughs> because she did. She's an Israelite, right? I mean, like literally your mother came from Israel uh, and you, are, you come from a deceitful people. And yet Jesus at the same time where he's kind of poking at him is also building him up where he's going, but you're being called out of that. Here's a true Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Right? There's, you're, you are being brought out of a manipulative people and you are being brought into something new. Just in the same way, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Israel? Jesus himself came out of Israel. Right? So there, I, I just want us to pause in this for a minute because if we, if we focus on this for just a minute, it could it could profoundly change 
our perception of Jesus and therefore of God himself. Because we can oftentimes slip into thinking that God is always stern and is always serious and is always concerned with the big things of the world and, it, it, and, is, and is weighing every word of our prayers and every actions of our life uh, it, just so that he can go, mm, that's a sin. Right? I mean, we can, we can picture God as this stern, bony-fingered, pointing, aggressive. And what we see here in Jesus is laughing and humor and come and follow me. And I might poke you a little bit um, in that process. Like, he would have been a joy to be around, not just serious and aggressive all the time. That maybe in the presence of God, even even in all his glory and his majesty. It's not that we take that for granted. It's not that we move to a place where, uh, where familiarity breeds contempt. It's not that. We are in awe of him, but part of what puts us in awe of him is that he is full of glory and transcendent majesty. And he says, come close. I want you to know me. I want you to be with me. I want you to Follow me. So we have here in this, this call to Nathaniel an echo of the call for us. Know this God who loves us, who is full of humor and joy and seriousness, and, uh, and he knows when to turn that off and turn on the uh, the. Uh, the times when we need to be focused and times when it's not the right time for humor. He knows all those things because he is, he is mature. But that he's inviting us into this life with him. And so Nathaniel, Nathaniel steps back a little bit, right? Verse 48, he says, how do you know me? Again, I picture Jesus smiling in this, right? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So, so some people say that fig tree, it, it, uh, it casts shade, not throwing shade. That was a different thing. It actually has shade underneath it. And, uh, and Philip, um, or Nathaniel, I mean, um, was probably sitting under there for the shade. That's oftentimes where scholars met as well to talk about the scripture. Uh, and so there could be a reference here that Nathaniel was studying the scripture, was looking for God, was perhaps praying. He might have been taking a nap. Either way, the important thing here is that Jesus has what we call omniscience, right? Somehow he knew uh, something about Philip, even though he wasn't there. He's going to do this again to the woman at the well in just a couple of chapters here in John. So there's this divine knowledge. And so one of the things that is revealed about God in the person and work of Jesus here is that God knows all things about us. And there's something very loving about the attention that God gives to us personally. Think about this. The God of the universe, who's busy with all of like holding all of the molecules together in the entire universe. It's a big job. And yet he sees Nathaniel under the fig tree. Right? There's a beauty in a, in, in, and, uh, and something very personal about that and something joyful about that and something that is, uh, that is warm about that. And then comes perhaps something a little disconcerting where we go, wait, 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 wait. God knows all things about me? 
all of my thoughts, all of the things that I think, even, and the answer is yes, even that. Like God knows everything. But here, before you get too worried about this, Nathaniel was a sinful person too. And he knew all of Nathaniel's thoughts uh, as well and still calls Nathaniel to follow him. In fact, going back to the idea of us using, uh, us using the uh, liturgy and learning these words, we pray that uh, a prayer at the beginning of every worship service, uh, every Sunday worship service that we have together, that we call the prayer for purity. And we pray this. We prayed it today. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. See, we pray these prayers because, because the very inner workings, the deepest, darkest parts of our heart, God is aware of and knows even more than we know. And yet he's still calling us. He's still calling us to be close to him. He's still calling us to a place of redemption and a place of following and a place of being sent, just as he did Nathaniel. The call to follow Jesus is the call to a forgiving grace that leads us to perfectly love him and worthily magnify his holy name. So here's how Nathaniel answers, verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Right? So, so this is a joyful exclamation, right? So Philip is off to the side going, I told you, just come and see. Right? Like I told you this would all work out if you could just get to know him. Uh, and so, so, so there's this joyful exclamation here. And I picture Jesus half smiling, half laughing when he responds this way in verse 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Like, that's it? That's all it took? He says, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what's happening here, it seems a little cryptic, but remember, these are faithful Jewish people who knew their scripture. Jesus is picking back up on this line uh, about, uh, about uh, Nathaniel being from Israel. And so if you've ever heard the phrase Jacob's ladder, right, this is, this is from uh, the book of Genesis where Jacob has this vision and he sees angels and, descend, and uh, angels ascending and descending uh, on sort of this ladder, the staircase kind of thing, which was a prophecy about how God was bringing heaven and earth together in the place of redemption to redeem it. And now Jesus is saying, he's picking back up on Nathanael's heritage and he's going, you Israelite, you descendant of Jacob, you will see what you have read about in the past, angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus saying, me personally, I am the fulfillment of what you have read and you will see these things take place. And friends, this is still the call to us today. The call for discipleship, the call to follow Jesus. Oh, it'd be great to see 5,000 people fed, but they got hungry again. Lazarus, who died and Jesus resurrected him. It would have been amazing to be there at that moment, but Lazarus died again. 
There are greater things than these. And the greater things than these that Nathaniel would see, that Philip would see, are the same things that we can see where those who are in rebellion and separated from God are redeemed and their souls are healed and they are brought back into relationship with God, their creator. A bond that will never be broken even by death itself. The greater things that Nathanael was going to see was the redemption of the people of Israel and the people of the world, us. And this happens still in our midst today. We can have a heart that longs for it. Wouldn't it be great to just see some kind of physical miracle? No, but there are even greater miracles that happen at the baptismal font. There are even greater miracles when we speak to our friends about Jesus and they come to a place of repentance and belief and mankind is reconciled to God, their creator, through Jesus. Even greater things than omniscience and seeing you under a fig tree are the same great and wonderful things that we get to see today when we are called to follow him. And so, friends, what I hope that we see in this call to Philip and Nathaniel is an echo of the call to us as the church to pray uh, that God will move in this geography, um, that God will move through our friendships and relationships, that we can see God as one who is calling us to know him, and to know him is to know a God who is full of majesty and power and gentleness and humor and joy and friendship. And to raise the standard of what it means to to follow Jesus and what he is calling us to see and do within his church, even greater things than omniscience, is the reconciliation of mankind to God through Jesus. And that we get to participate in that work here. Let us not miss what great thing we are a part of as we are a part of the mission of God. One day we'll see it physically when Jesus returns and we will lay our physical eyes upon him and we will sit at a table with him and we will look around and see all of the redeemed gathered around and we'll see it physically. One day that will happen. Now we get to see it in our midst here through sacrament, through word, through the community as Jesus does even greater things than these. So will you hear the call of Jesus? Follow me he says. Follow me in this great new life. Pick up on my accent. Pick up on my purpose and go out in my name to invite others to come and see me and you will see even greater things than these. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would issue this call into our hearts. For those who know you, I pray that you would enliven their hearts. Give them a sense of, of joy and, uh, and anticipation. That you, would, that you would make them even more further intrigued by you. To know you and to want your, your company and your fellowship. And to, and to want to walk this closely with you. And to have the courage to go out in your name to bring others to know you as well. And for those in this room who do not know you, I pray, Lord, that their hearts will, will, um, will hear your invitation, that, 
that they will, that they will hear of the greater things that, that you want to do within them as well, to save them from a place of confusion and hopelessness or a place of isolation and to bring them to a place of fellowship and joy and truth and hope. All with this invitation. Follow me. Lord, let that call ring in our hearts, we pray. In your name, amen.